What are the long box guys going to do tonight, Brain? The same thing the long box guys do every night, Pinky. Drink and talk about comics. They're useless to taking over the world. Yes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Long Box Guys. With me, as always, are some of my very best friends, since there's a very little kid. Josh, how you doing? What are you drinking? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, and I'm having a, uh, a nice IPA from Vitamin C Brewing down in from Braintree, Massachusetts. Braintree, Massachusetts. Awesome. Tommy, how you doing? What are you drinking? I'm doing okay. I am drinking some Spice Tree Scotch by Compass Box, and it is delicious. Sounds good. Nice. Yeah. Oh, it's delicious. Uh, Mikey, uh, how you doing? What are you drinking? I'm doing well. I'm drinking a Hero Pilsner from Thimble Island Brewery in Connecticut. What are you doing? What are you drinking? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. At the moment, I'm drinking a scotch. I'm going to switch over to tequila later because I have to do a uh, a fasting blood work test tomorrow. And I don't want to have diabetes. So I'm going to drink a bunch of tequila before I go to bed uh, because that helps level out the sugars. That's right. I'm I'm not fat. I'm crafty. I'm the MacGyver of fat guys. That's a hey. <laughs> Anything I can do to fool those medical experts. She's my doctor. Right. She's got to be smarter than me. Speaking of smarter than all of us, we lost a titan of the comic book industry this week. We lost Neil Adams. Neil Adams, one of the greatest people ever to be in comics, really. We've met him on a couple of occasions. We're going to tell you a couple of sobbing stories about him. We're going to tell you a couple of our favorite things about him. And we're going to tell you a little bit about the history of Neil Adams, how he got into comics, what his first comics were, who his first wife was what his hometown was. And I'm saying all this because LT has to give the history and I know he didn't do dick. <laughs> Neil Adams, he got it. He got into comics in like 1967. He's been in the industry forever. He is the one that was responsible for getting artists back their artwork after the comics published it. Before that, the comic book companies would just put it in a drawer. And then when the drawer was full, they would empty the drawer and throw it out. <laughs> That's what comic book companies did, historically. And Neil Adams was the one that was responsible for getting the artist back the artwork when the comic book companies had published it so that they would have basically another another income stream. He was, he was a, a, an artist rights guy from the 70s. But he started, you know, in the comic book industry in like, I don't know, like 1967 or so. He's responsible but, you know, for... I'm sure Wikipedia... We'll have more information about this in a minute. So he's responsible. Uh, he he's he was such a pioneer, and his art style was emulated by so many people, like Frank Miller and um, um, Walt Simonson. They all looked up and considered Neil Adams their mentor as far as uh, drawing comics. Um, Bill Sienkiewicz, you know, the list goes on and on. I, on Twitter, after the news was announced of Neil Adams passing away, all the comic book writers and artists were out there saying, and Neil Adams was one of the best artists of all time. And if you look at any of his iconic artwork, you'd have to agree. He was able to capture the motion and action of a comic with still frames. Uh, and his covers are just classic the superman breaking the kryptonite chain 
uh, is was Neil Adams. Songbirds Don't Fly uh, the with Speedy shooting heroin on the cover uh, of Green Lantern, Green Arrow. That was Neil Adams. Neil Adams did so much great artwork, but the work he did for the comic book industry is what made him the titan that he was. It wasn't necessarily his artwork, which was the basis for everything, but it's the fact that he petitioned for artists to have their artwork back. Not only that, the he got he took up the cause of Go ahead, Tom. I was gonna go finish that thought if you like, but I was gonna say that is one of the great things he is thought of as as taking up the cause for artists, artists' rights. But to me, he will always be the social justice guy. Talk about a guy who pioneered talking about social justice in comic books. He definitely wasn't the first, but he was one of the best, in my opinion. Uh, the iconic thing where uh, an African-American comes up to Green Lantern and says, you've done things for the purple man and the orange man, but please tell me, what have you done for the black man? And he said, I, I can't answer that. That's a powerful, powerful statement in a comic book. And his Green Arrow, Green Lantern run was full of social justice issues. And to me, that's what I always remember Neil Adams as. And secondly, as a great, great pioneer when it came to artist rights and just redoing the entire comic book industry. And he also, not only, you know, did he get artists back their artwork, but he also fought for creator-owned rights. So, you know, prior to this, if a comic book artist or writer created a character, the comic book company would get the rights to the character. And... Typically, the the artists would get nothing. They would just get paid for the book. Whereas Neil Adams made it possible for the person who created the character to get royalties for that character. And that was a big deal. Uh, That allowed some of these creators to actually be able to have a, a style of living other than just barely eking out a living. Um, and it was, you know, it was a very important thing. He, he fought for all that. He also, you know, for a while, he, uh, him and Dick Dorjano uh, had continuity comics in the 80s where they were supporting a bunch of different artists in their own studio space, uh, allowing people to do kind of what they wanted in continuity comics for a while. And that ran for like, what, like eight or nine years uh, in that studio space. Um, so they did a lot. Of, he did a lot of really good things for for the comic industry. Yeah. When you talk about Neil Adams and uh, he started a graphic design company. And so he found that working your ass off for making comic books didn't pay as well as just doing advertising artwork. And so what he would do is he would supplement the other artists by giving them jobs in the industry uh, for advertising. And Neil Adams actually left the comic book industry for a while just to run his own business doing the uh, graphic design for different advertising. And he made a lot more money than he ever did in the comic book industry because of the way comic book rights and distributions just are. Uh, He was the champion for Siegel and Schuster when they were they created Superman, and basically the whole superhero genre 
was built upon Superman's shoulders. And he was the best-selling comic book in the 1940s and going into the 50s. Siegel and Schuster didn't own the rights to Superman. And they didn't have a contract with DC, but they were making really good money because our Superman was selling so well. However, when new editors came in and they sold DC Comics, which was then National Comics, got sold, uh, they kicked Siegel and Schuster out and brought in cheaper writers and artists. And so the creators of Superman had nothing to fall back on. And eventually, uh, I can't remember if it was Siegel or Schuster, they, uh, they, they, there's an interview with one of them. They were so happy when the Christopher Reeve Superman movie came out that they would stand outside the movie theater to watch people coming out to see their reactions and he'd ask them how they enjoyed the movie. Now, he didn't actually get to see the movie because he couldn't afford a fucking ticket to the movie. And so Neil Adams told us that story, uh, one of the many cons that we've seen him at. And he said, I thought it was bullshit. And so he worked to get Siegel and Schuster a, um, a stipend. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a monthly stipend till the end of their lives to, uh, from DC Comics because of all the money that DC was making off of their creation. So for me, I, like I didn't read, I didn't read a lot of Neil Adams comics. I wasn't a DC guy, and I, I know he crossed uh, back and forth a bit. I did, for me, he was uh, like you said, Mike. He was a con presence, and we saw him at a lot of cons. And not only did we see him at a lot of cons, he was just at a lot of cons. That guy was a road warrior for conventions. He liked being in front of the people. He liked meeting people. First of all, uh, and just uh, I'm going to take a walk back just a little bit for those who don't know. Three days ago on April 29th, Neil Adams passed away at the age of 80. So uh, that's why we're – I know we're, we're talking about him in the past tense, but uh, it's just three days before the recording of this. So, And so he is really – for me, he's that con presence. He, you would walk – you've never seen a, uh, a single table for a Neil Adams booth. You've, you've never not seen a crowd in front of a Neil Adams booth. And if you've been in front or near a Neil Adams booth, you have definitely heard Neil Adams' stories, right? He engaged people, and sometimes, not always in the best way, <laughs> but he always engaged. He always we also want to mention that the number one Neil Adams fan also sadly passed away this week, which was also Neil Adams. Also Neil. <laughs> <laughs> He we spent fifteen minutes at he spent fifteen minutes at a con talking about taking a shit on an airplane. The poop story. He never said shit. Yeah, we said poop. That's true because he was a classy dude. He was a classy dude. He told the poop story on the plane, and it went on forever. It was worth every second of it. Yeah, yeah, for him. Guy, yeah, big personality. He was always there at the cons. uh, It was unbelievable. Like I can't imagine being in my late seventies and just being that much of a road warrior out every time. I mean, he's every week. Always animated. Yeah, I. I would see yeah. little cons like in the middle of nowhere. Like there was a con like in 
like North Central Massachusetts that was like at a high school and it was like featuring Neil Adams. I'm like, what are you talking about? His son often too, correct? His son and yeah. his wife. Joel. Or, yeah. yeah. So I and, always remember him as a road warrior. What Josh said about you never see one table, that's because Neil Adams couldn't have one table. He usually had three. He usually had a corner table and two tables that came around just displaying all of his magnificent covers and artwork, and he would sign them, and he was a very generous guy. Speaking of his generosity, Mike, tell him the story. Uh, uh, so if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm going to – Go over. Can you guys see it? Or is yes. there a player? Okay, that Batman black and white cover. We have a story about that. So Tom and I are walking past Neil Adams' table, and Tom says, Hey, Mr. Adams, we are doing a panel discussion on civil rights and social justice uh, today at the con, and it would mean a lot to us if you could come to our panel and speak about that. And then a 15-minute doctoral thesis was conducted where he talked to us about what social justice really was. Um, And the whole Batman black and white, he picked up that comic book and he was like, you want to talk about social justice, read this, and handed it to Tom. And Tom was like, well, okay, what he really meant, Neil Adams meant, read this right now, open up the fucking comic and read it. But Tom just was holding it like that because there was a a sign that said it was a thousand dollars because it's an I'm original thousand like, dollar comic. I'm not opening this, Mr. Adams. He's afraid to touch it. He's just holding it by the sides because he didn't want to get any fingerprints on it because Neil Adams is it's an original Neil Adams Batman drawing on it. And it's a Neil Adams comic. And Neil Adams is like, give me that. And he starts to read the comic to us as if we were children. It was Neil Adams story time. Yeah. The thesis of it was the world doesn't need Batman. It needs Bruce Wayne. Right, because Bruce Wayne is more effective with his money than Batman is spending it on his toys. And at the end of it, he's like, here, this is for you. Keep up the good work. And that is why I currently have it because Tom was like, you need to take care of this, Michael. <laughs> I'm like, I am not going to – I am going to read this every night before bed and fall asleep with it on my face and wreck this immediately. Yep. I am not good with keeping Kyle books neat. I, I have Kyle books. They're in bags. They're boarded. But I constantly pull them up and read them and – Stick them back in the wrong bags upside down or just leave them in piles for a while. Then back. I'm so glad Mike has it because I would have wrecked it by now. So that is our tontine at the moment. He would have drooled on it. Then his dog would have drooled on it. Then his other dog would have ripped it apart. It's no, like in Mystery Men been, when Captain we Amazing would have is talked like, about that comic in the past tense like we're talking about Neil Adams. Captain Amazing is like, keep up the good work. I'm like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Keep up the good work, he said. Keep it up. Good work, Keep it up. I was so moved. I was crying. I was trying to hold it together. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, it, was, it was a very moving moment for me. 
Yeah, he was great. He told. Uh, uh, and let's not let's not we're glossing with the fact he gave us a thousand dollar comic book just because you know he liked that we were talking about social justice in comic books. Yeah, he thought it was a very important issue. He thought comic books teach kids the moral values of right and wrong, and therefore they're an an amazing part of the American society. Um, speaking of, you know, that like, we should talk about hard charging heroes, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series. Although if you're going to talk about Neil Adams, you got to talk about he revolutionized with Marv Wolfman, Batman. Uh, they uh, they created Ra- Rachel Ghoul, Man Bat, Talia. Uh, if you're going to talk about Batman, you should start at the beginning. I mean, he took over Batman uh, by by doing it in the most like obtuse way. He was like, "Oh, why don't you let me draw the Brave and the Bold?" Because he knew he couldn't get the big Batman story in the beginning. He had to prove himself as a Batman artist. So he was like, "Give me the Brave and the Bold." And this was at the time when Batman '66 was out, and Batman wasn't a serious character yet. And he took Brightman Brave and the Bold, and he did the flowing robes. He did it at night, and he made Batman what what we all know Batman to be. Now, took it from the the campy character of Batman '66 and brought it into the Dark Knight. Really, he also created the look, the iconic Van Dyke look of Green Arrow. I he also put muscles underneath costumes. <laughs> I take umbrage with you calling Batman's cape a, a robe. <laughs> I'm sorry, he, but he made it flowing. He made it flow and. Yeah, but it's not a robe. He's not the... <laughs> yeah. He That's what he. And... When he wakes up in the morning, he puts on the cape and cowl, okay. yeah. walks around the bad cave. It's cold in there. It's cold All right, I'm just, I just couldn't on. get past robe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I used the wrong, the wrong, the, the 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 word that you took took offense to. I'm just saying that he took he took the the flagship character and returned it to its dark roots. He did that absolutely. and recaptured it recaptured it from the campiness of the '60s. He also brought it back to the '40s dark character. I think, if, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but he really brought back the detective part of it to me. Yes. Well, he's. Yes. That's, he was that's the artist. I mean, he was always the detective, but these were good detective stories. Right, but he was the artist for that. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, you're right. He was the artist for that. But that's when the detective part of it came through to me. But all of his covers, uh, if you go back and look at his Batman and Detective Comics covers, are freaking amazing. Did he, he did the, 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 the Beatles one, right? Uh, I don't know if he did the Beatles one. I'm going to look that up because I think that is hilarious. One of these Beatles is dead. We just don't know which one. He, so if you it were, like if you were watching the, if you were used to the Batman TV show and you went into the comic book store, when you were looking for comics, the Neil Adams covers just drew you in because it was a dark brooding, you know, noirish character rather than the camp. Uh, he, he was responsible for uh, the Joker being the, the sociopath that we know 
now it was him and Denny O'Neill writing uh, Batman where they were like, we're going to take Joker and he's still a clown, but we're going to make him a sociopath clown. Um, so, you know, if you see the Joker fish, this is Neil Adams. Uh, then when he, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, both very liberal, they wanted to talk about the social issues that were facing, you know, the United States in the 1960s. They didn't have a vehicle for doing that until they were offered the Green Lantern series because Green Lantern was not a good comic. Nobody was buying Green Lantern. So they were like, you can take it over. You can do whatever you want with it because it's not like you're going to tank the the ratings, uh, you know, the sales on this comic, it sucks. We're probably going to cancel it anyways. So they did the hard charging heroes where they took on the social issues, green lantern playing the role of the conservative green arrow, playing the role of the liberal in the pairing. Uh, so the hard charging heroes is a seminal work of comic bookdom. You should also consider, uh, looking at, Snow birds don't fly. And the reason we say that is because that was one of the first, in fact, the first DC comic that did not have the comic code of authority on it. They, uh, it was Spider-Man had an issue where they dealt with drugs. And then this issue where the U S government actually asked them to talk about drug use, but, because there was drug use, they couldn't get it past the censors of the comic book code authority. So they were like, all right, we're, we're just not going to have the, uh, that uh, label on it. Uh, so that, nice... oh, go no, go ahead. I, th- I think one of the great things about the hard charging heroes is yeah, you're right. He got handed, they got, they asked for the reins of a book that they knew was teetering on the brink of obscurity, right? That was going to go away. So they could, take that and and do what they wanted to do with it and the great thing about it is they they turned that series around with a serious issue and i think that was sort of the beginning of the demographic change of how they thought about selling comic books too so it's sort of the the very early thing where a lot of people uh especially like 40s 50s even though a lot of adults were probably reading comics, a lot of it was probably thought of as sales of kids buying stuff off spinner racks. And that really sort of turned the industry to say, maybe we can do more serious books and they can turn series around and make sales because adults are willing to pay for this medium. And I mean, I'm sure some marketing people thought about that beforehand. But I think that was sort of one of the things where people were like, let's let's do more of this. And I think the sort of I mean, you can see from, uh, you know, the Frank Miller sort of, you know, burgeoning out of that uh, sort of idea and those more serious books just sort of coming to light and pushing their way into the industry. Yeah, and the comic books of Court of Authority didn't last much longer after that. No, it lasted until the 90s. Yeah, but that, it wasn't the force it was. How's that? Yeah, they started relaxing the uh, uh, the code. You, and if you want the most classic Neil Adams cover, it's a tough call, but I'm going to go with Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Oh, clap, clap, clap. 
I mean, yeah, that's. Um, if that's you look at that, Neil Adams just decided I'm going to take all these real people and put them in the crowd watching Superman versus Muhammad Ali, and it his drawing is so great that it it almost looks like a photograph of these people. He captures everybody. So, so much work into that. Uh, you can name like 40 people. Like I, I'm pretty sure uh, Red Fox is in there. Like there's so, so many people in that, in the background, in the crowd, just watching and cheering. Um, uh, yeah. I, I can't name them all off the top of my head, but there's so many good people in there. Josh, you got it over your shoulder right now. Yeah. And it's a great one. Part right? of it. Yeah. Uh, is that his most iconic cover, though? I mean, Snowbirds jumps right to mind, of course, because that's a big one. Uh, the Sergeant Rock Batman one comes to mind to me just because I loved it so much. It's really beautiful. How about you, Tommy? Uh, well, I was going to say, you know, we've talked a lot about some of the other things that Neil Adams has done, but he's also done a bunch of, you know, things that you don't really know him for outside of comics. You know, he did uh, some work for some Holocaust-related things as well. Um, you know, he did uh, some motion comics for um, about the Holocaust uh, series with Disney called, um, uh, what is it, uh, American Voices Against the Holocaust, uh, They Spoke Out, where it was a series of kind of motion comics that were all about the Holocaust and about... Um, you know, Jews being being tormented by the Nazis, and it was like an educational series that that Disney helped put out back in like 2010. Um, that that he kind of spearheaded. He also did some work um, on a, a graphic documentary about Dina Bobbitt and her work in the Holocaust. She was. Uh, you know, forced as, to work as an illustrator for uh, Joseph Mengele, um, you know, documenting his theories about Romani racial inferiority against her will. And so he he did some work about that. So he did things even outside of comic bookdom that were that were also about social injustice. I thought for God, I thought you said Lorraine about it. No, it's a very different person. And yeah. Disney does not have the best record when it comes to uh, Jewish rights, so I'm glad they turned it around there. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about something totally different that they, they got them to do. I'm like, geez. And, and also, you know, he, you know, getting back to Green Arrow, Green Lantern, he was also the, you know, the one of the impetus for them changing the Green Lantern to John Stewart and having an, an African American Green Lantern. They, they wanted they wanted to you know when he was like let's change to a, a different green lantern and they were like oh sure we can pick another american and he's like you know why don't we choose somebody from a, a different ethnic background and they were like oh okay and and you know they wanted to, to choose an asian and, Ooh, and he was like you know you already have done some bad things to asians in in recent history with this book why don't we choose an African-American? And they wanted to, you know, DC wanted to name that character something ridiculous. And he's like, no, let's just give him a normal name like John Stewart. And so he helped create that whole Green Lantern, which is now a Green Lantern of a generation 
that people know. True, and John Stewart was the first black superhero in DC Comics. Don't doubt me, Tom. Don't you fucking doubt me. I was going to say, what about Tyrock? Nope, John Stewart predates Tyrock. John Stewart predates Tyrock? Yeah. Tyrock's from the 22nd centuries. <laughs> it's just oh, fucking math. Century, are you? Are you now? No, no uh, publishing history. How it is now. Publishing history. You're certain? I am positive. I am willing to bet LT's life on this. Josh, look it up. All right, it's the year of redemption. It's the year of redemption. Neil Adams, you know, has done everything in the industry. He has, he has written, he has drawn, he has won all the awards. Yeah, and uh, if you uh, are interested in reading any of Neil Adams' comics that he wrote, I highly recommend you enjoy the artwork of Neil Adams because yeah. he is not a good writer. Except he's a for great storyteller, Batman Black and he White. He was a great storyteller, but uh, not so much with the writing. I read the Dead Man that he did in 2018. Yeah, and Dead Man was, was again okay. one of his other iconic characters. I think if uh, yep. when I think of Neil Adams, I think of Dead Man because he was the artist for the Dead Man series. It was one of his first works. Was Dead Man? John Stewart's first appearance, January. I'm uh, sorry, Green Lantern 87, December of 1971. Tyrock, Superboy 216, April 1976. Five years. Well, yeah. I'm a, I, you know what? I'm going to just spike this cat because I feel so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see you spike that cat. Spike that cat. Spike, spike that, that cat. cat. Uh, and for me, I will say I'm going to go, you know, since I'm a Marvel guy, uh, I'm going to take uh, my favorite Marvel cover by him. was actually X-Men 50. I'm going to say eight, seven. Is that the one with Havoc? Havoc's, yeah, it's Havoc's first appearance. Yeah, as soon as you said X, uh, uh, X-Men and Neil Adams, I thought, oh, it's going to be the fucking Havoc cover. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Havoc's first appearance. It's a good cover. Good cover. It's a good yeah. cover. Uh, all around hilarious guy. If you went to any of his, uh, you know, panels, uh, he wasn't a good panelist because <laughs> he kind of dominated and he should have dominated. He was too big to be on a panel. He should have been the panel wherever he was. Uh, but he was engaging in the stories, funny, articulate, smart, nice, friendly, giving, uh, this guy was everything that's good about comic books, really. Yeah, classy dude. He will yeah. be missed. And, yeah. and also, always pointing to other artists. Never, never, I mean, he loved himself, too. To Neil Adams. Drink. To Neil Adams. Drink. To Neil Adams. To Neil. <laughs> LT, you're just trying to get us to change your name, but still, still, still unicorn. Okay, so it is 58 for uh, for that, but in my search for that, I found Detective Comics number 52, where the uh, inmates in a prison have uh, 
basically have are hanging Batman by his cape. Man, that's a good cover. Did you say fifty two? What's that? That's gotta be like two fifty two. Oh no, sorry. It's uh Detective Comics four twenty one. Yeah. Uh, there's a ton of good ones. Yeah. There's a great one of um, uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and it's about coal miners' rights. And it's uh, Green Arrow taking a shot at Green Lantern uh, because he's crossing the picket line. And it's just about, you know, who has uh, more rights, you know, people picketing and trying to stop work at a site or a company trying to keep business going. I mean, that's such a nuanced difficult question and they just took it out of this comic book it was great and there were also a lot of things that were a little controversial at the time i remember there was one where black canary was pretty much crucified uh in a uh, in one of those front panels and it was all about whether or not they could co-opt some of the uh racial stereotypes that they had been using in the past and Black Canary actually stopped being a superhero for a few years because she said, I have to stop and think about, you know, if what we're doing is actually right. And, you know, she took a little break from comics. And all of that happened because Neil Adams and the writing team that he was working with were making these great comics that were interested in looking at, you know, what was wrong and what was right with America. The entire series, Searching for America, is just... Nothing but social justice uh, uh, issues, and it's terrific. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, also uh, Batman 251 is a great cover with uh, the Joker holding a giant playing card with Batman on it. It's a great Neil Adams cover. Yeah, I've got a bunch of uh, Neil Adams prints. Yeah, obviously... Green Lantern, Green Arrow, yeah, the Justice League. In fact, I I bought just a Justice League cover from him, and then at the next con I bought the exact same one. So I have two <laughs> that are signed to Michael, and I have one in my office at work, and then I have one in my collection here at the house because I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. I I like this so much. I bought it twice. <laughs> Uh, Josh, you did something like that before too with one of your pencil guys. Yeah, one of the artists I really like. I uh, I had a he has a he's an amazing pencil sketch artist, and I have this Darth Vader by him. And I was probably you know it was past the pandemic, so he came out on the other side of the con I went to, and I was like I saw this Darth Vader print, and I was like, man, this is amazing. Like, oh man, I think so. I had like cash in hand. I was about to like buy it again. And I was like wait a minute, were you at the Game of Thrones convention? And the guy's like, yeah. I'm like, fuck, I already own this. <laughs> I was going to buy it again. I like it so much. He really does yep. oh, Any last words on Neil Adams? Uh, let me say one other thing about Neil Adams. Whenever I talked to him, he was, uh, and without tearing up, <laughs> uh, he would uh, always talk about other artists first. Uh, like he loved himself. He absolutely did. But he was very generous when he came to talking about other artists. Like, he's like, oh, you like this? You're going to like this guy's stuff, too. And, oh, this guy down the way, you're going to like his stuff, too. Uh, he was generous in that way. <laughs> he did love his stuff. But he was a very generous guy, too. 
And uh, very loving with his wife also. Um, oh, his son, his, too. His son yeah. was with him everywhere. Joel. Yeah. Uh, I met Neil Adams. He was doing an signing at my local comic book store when I was in New Orleans. And his wife was there. And so Neil was being Neil, signing, talking to everybody. And I had a lovely conversation with his wife uh, for probably about a half hour. Uh, we just sat there and chatted. And I was making recommendations of where they should go, et cetera. Uh, so she was very lovely. I feel bad for her and uh, yeah, surviving. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I think we we kind of know some of the uh, the wives better, like Tony Isabella's long suffering wife Barb. We've oh, talked Barb, to Barb for Barb such a sweetheart. Barb is awesome, sweetheart. We love Tony, of course, too, but Barb is awesome and hilarious. <laughs> Last words, there, Tommy. I mean, yeah, just I mean, Neil Adams will be missed. He's a great guy. It certainly was a force for good in comics. Josh, sweet sweet Josh, any last words? Just a light gone out at every con for me. Yeah. Just seems like there should be a dark corner that should no one should be able to have a booth there, and they should just have a white placard that says Neil Adams at every fucking con from now on. At uh, down in uh, down in Memphis, we have a table in the corner for fallen soldiers, and it's always got four beers on it, and it's for that. And uh, we should have that for the con for this year. That would be actually a tremendous uh, honor for him. And one of the very few guys in comic books that I know of where you can't say a bad word about. Yeah. And not to my knowledge. It might come up later. You never know. But right now, I'm going to say I, I've never heard anyone say a bad word about the Alliance. Well, probably some editors. Well, obviously some publishers they're like I gotta pay the artist what <laughs> certainly some decent lawyers yeah, but, yeah you want us to give this stuff back I was gonna throw it away I don't know. envelopes 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 These envelopes these are like 11 by 17 where are we gonna find yeah. envelopes that big they don't make envelopes yeah, that big, envelopes that big. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey what do you have in front of the law box sir at the front of the long box, I have Wonder Woman, Historia of the Amazons. It is one of the black label comics that DC puts out, which means it is the magazine style. The uh, It is by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Phil Jimenez, uh, along with a bunch of different artists. And uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see just a sample of the breathtaking artwork. This is told not as a narrative storyline so much as a an illustrated history uh if you love mythology this is the book for you they make the gods look godly in it rather than just larger than life humans they make them otherworldly and uh the story is very interesting so i highly recommend it which for those playing at home, that means you get a drink. Drink. Oh, and for people who are watching or listening to this podcast and didn't see the photos that I put up on our YouTube channel, we have a YouTube channel. Just search for The Long Box, guys, and you'll find us. For those of you listening on YouTube and are like, what's a podcast? Read a book. No, don't read a book. Listen to our podcast, please. 
Uh, and if you want a bonus podcast from us, you can go over to patreon.com slash the long box guys. And for a mere $1 a month, you get access to our Patreon only podcast that we do almost every week called the geek leak, where we talk about all the other geeky stuff besides comic books that we're doing. And all the money that we make does not go to us. It goes to the Elizabeth Peabody house uh, where Tom, how many people do you guys feed it? We feed about 90 people every single week lately. The numbers keep rising. Families. 90 families. Thank you very much, Tommy, for pointing that out because you are right. It's 90 families. Uh, we uh, we provide uh, as much as we can. Uh, everything's getting a little bit stressed. The system is a little bit stressed at the moment. So uh, everything, guys, uh, that we add, everything that can uh, add helps a lot a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. Mm. Tommy, where are you at the back of the long box? I've got Batman 251 by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams with uh, cover assistance by Dick Giorgiano. Uh, this is a great old Batman story where uh, Batman is hunting down the Joker. He, the Joker has just escaped from prison, and Batman is convinced that the Joker is trying to hunt down all of his old gang and kill them because he believes that the Joker has is convinced that one of his old gang has ratted him out, and that's how he got sent to prison in the first place. And so Batman is trying to beat the Joker to all of his old gang uh, and trying to get them into protective custody before he can kill them, and he is failing miserably. (laughs) And it's a great story of Batman failing miserably while trying to protect the not-so-innocent. And it's great. That sounds like a good one, actually. I might that one. It is. it is. So I read that comic book at uh, a barber shop on Main Street in Palmer. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Well, the, and what do you uh, think, Don Mike? the Barber? He was Don the Barber. Yes, Don the Barber. He was uh, usually a little tipsy, but he would accept payment on Friday. So every kid would go there. The dad would come in on Friday and settle up with Don. And he always had a stack of comic books. So I remember reading that issue at the barbershop because I love going to get my hair cut because I got to peruse all his comic books. Yeah, I remember Don the Barber. That was great, great memory. Not too far from the Swedish bakery. But that's a tangent. We got to admit that. And that's usually Josh's purview. Josh, what do you got for a tangent for a second? So I had a tangent, and then Mike totally just threw my tangent into my tangent. Um, so... I'm going to give my story first. I usually, you know, shop it out first, but I'm just going to give you mine right away. So the worst haircut I ever got. I just get to college. It's my first time really away from home for any length of time. I go down to downtown Bridgewater, walk down the street. I see a barber shop, and I'm like, sure, why not? I go in, sit down. Guy says, oh, yeah, the owner's taking walk-ins. And there's something about the look on the kid's face who tells me that, that tells me I'm in the wrong place, but I don't listen to my instincts. And I sit down anyway, and that kid leaves. The owner comes in and puts the, uh, you know, puts the, the zicky around me, gets me ready. And then for a moment, I think to myself, is that the 
smell of alcohol that cleans the combs? Or is this guy that... <laughs> the first time in my life I ever went home and I was just like, just shaving my head bald. That guy was so drunk when he cut my hair. I look like I had gotten fucked three ways by a razor blade. It was horrible. So either worst haircut ever or just worst personal service of whatever you know, whatever you guys got going on. I don't wanna I don't wanna dig too deep there. Well I got some massage ones I could go through. <laughs> Uh, Mike, I bet I know both of our worst haircut stories. Okay, go for it. Are you talking was about, it in oh. the bay? <laughs> what? Was it in the bay? It was not. Someone in the barracks? No, it wasn't a barracks haircut? Your worst haircut wasn't a barracks haircut? No. All right, my worst haircut ever was a barracks haircut, where one guy had a pair of clippers. He's like, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll do it for a buck. It was just mangled. It was a buzz cut, but it was like mangled, shabby. It was like getting a, a blowjob from someone with three teeth, but the teeth were really sharp. Like, really sharp. Like, how sharp? sharp. Like, vorpal, like, jibber, jabber, jabberwocky, vorpal blade sharp. Mikey, what was your worst then? So, I'm gonna, I just want to back up. In the Army, at basic training, they make you go get a haircut. And you have to give them your money for this haircut because you have to pay the barber. The guy next to me had alopecia. He had no hair whatsoever on his body. And he still forked over the six. They had He had to pay $6 for him to sit down, the barber to wrap the thing around, to go to just... I, I don't even know what he did to his head. He just went, Boop, okay, you're done. Six dollars. Got a kickback from that guy. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> we all got, know that. Right? It, yeah. <laughs> but my worst haircut. It was in Monterey, California. I was at a strip mall, and I always used to have McCoy give me my haircuts. He wasn't. He he had the best price. He didn't charge oh. you for it. He just wasn't gentle at all. But I was like, you know what? I don't. He only did high and tights. I didn't want a high and tight. I wanted just a short tapered cut. So I go to the strip mall. This little Asian woman uh, asked me, what do I want? And I said, I want a short tapered one inch. Make sure it goes over my ears. So she cuts a one-inch streak over my fucking ears. Nice. And uh, which McCoy had a fix for me. <laughs> nice. How about you, Tommy? It's a victory. So, so I went down to Alibrandi's down on Holland Street in Somerville one day. And normally I did okay at all the brandies, but uh, the old man was not cutting that day. He was in the next chair over, and I got some new person, and she was not very good. And uh, she nicked my ear and uh, and uh, also screwed up my hair, and uh, the old man had to come over and fix it. 
granddaughter was taking over eventually. Eventually. And I'm just saying it was not good. And he was like, he was like, uh, here, I'm just going to put some paper on your ear. <laughs> so during COVID, I went to a, a place in San Jose, uh, Super Cuts or Great Cuts, whatever the fuck it was. And the woman nicked my ear uh, with a razor. And you would have sworn that some biohazard had happened in that place because she was like, oh, fuck, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. And then everybody, like, parted ways and gave me a bunch of space because I was now a biohazard. It was uh, it was crazy. Josh, do you remember the barbershop across the street from where we lived? In San Francisco? Yeah. So... There was a strip club across the street from where you live. There was a Same thing. strip club right next to the barbershop where these two very old Chinese fellas would work. And uh, it was all gangbangers would go in there. And the gangbangers would get all these uh, you know, cuts. And Chinese opera was blaring. And the phone would ring constantly. And they would talk on the phone and write stuff down furiously. And then every once in a while, someone would come in and go, I'm going in the back, dog. And the Chinese guy would tap on the wall twice, the back wall would open, and they would go downstairs, and the wall shut. I loved going to that barbershop, because I never knew what was going to happen there. It was mostly people getting, like, gang banger haircuts with, like, significant things shaved into their heads, and then me getting a high and tight. But every once in a while, I'm going to the back, dog would happen, and they, they would open the wall, and they, you don't remember that, Josh? So I think the weird thing is, I don't ever remember getting a haircut in San Francisco. <laughs> wow, that is weird. Like, like, I don't remember I don't remember a barbershop. I'm usually like a barbershop guy, and I yeah. can't... I don't remember getting a haircut the entire two years we were in California. I don't remember your hair getting long either. Oh, my hair did get long. There's a picture of me behind Ben, and I look like I've got a stormtrooper oh, yeah. head of hair helmet. Uh, yeah, I I don't remember getting a haircut in California. I, I got one more quick haircut story. When I moved to Memphis, I went to this place that my boss told me I had to go to. He's like, just go there. They don't just go there. So I went there, and I sat down, and the guy looked at me, looked me up and down, and goes, short. And I nodded. And that was the last word I said. I paid him my money and I left. That went on for four years. I would sit in that chair. He would look at me every three weeks and go, short. And I nod. And he cut my hair. I'm about to move out of town. I'm about to leave. I sit down for my last haircut. He goes, short. And I nod. And he starts cutting my hair. And he goes, how about those Memphis Grizzlies? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> What the fuck are you doing, man? I did not come here for a conversation. <laughs> and the guy in the chair next to me fucking almost pissed his pants laughing. <laughs> and he looks over and goes, he's trying something new. <laughs> and I, it was one of the most hysterical moments of my life. This guy just, out of the blue, decided he's going to add one more line to his repertoire. And I was not having it. My wife has an idea for the perfect barbershop for her. 
in which you walk into a shop and there's hundreds of pictures of haircuts on the wall. You look at the barber for a second and then tap on the picture and then sit down and then Apple Pay on the way out and that's it. <laughs> Not a word needs to be said. That's my wife's dream fantasy of what a barbershop should be. LT, when we went out for your wedding, we all went to the barbershop the day before and got haircuts and a nice shave, like a real shave. That is, There's nothing better than a barber who knows how to do a real shave. I won that in an auction this week. You did? Yeah, I got a, I got a, a real shave, and uh, for the upgrade for another uh, 20 bucks, I'm going to do the dome. So uh, I'm going to get the, the full real shave here, the full dome shave this week. Yeah, my barber here in Connecticut... First time I went, I was like, hey, do you shave? And he's like, yeah, I can do that. Uh, I'm never having him do that again. <laughs> what, what did he use? Did he use a straight razor? He did use a straight razor. razor and he did not do a good job. <laughs> okay. Uh, I went to a barber here in town, and I said, uh, they were doing my hair like, shave? And I'm like, no, thanks. And they're like, shave. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm good. And they went, Shave. I'm like, they, they, it was just part of the deal. You just got shaved. So I did. It was nice. When I had my wrist surgery, I was looking for a place that would do a shave. Because my, my face, after like a week, it just got to that point where it was so itchy. Oh, no, yeah. Nice straight razor with uh, the hot, uh, yeah, That's the nice. hot foam. That's nice. That's good well, my stuff. Beard, my beard is mostly my wife's sex toy. Like, she likes a three-day growth. That's what she likes. So, like, when you guys see me, I'm going to be clean shaven when I, because I'm hopefully coming back just for a time for it to be three days. So, uh, yeah. This has been Barbershop Talk. Too much. This has been Barbershop Talk. With the long right, box well, let's, let's move on to Three day teen, Tom? Do I got a three day teen? Three day teen. A straight razor shave. Three day teen. I've only had it once. I'm going to give it an 18. It was nice. I'm going to give it a 15 because it's hit or miss. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 16 because, yeah, there are definitely some places you're like, you know what? You know what I want today? Nice straight air shave. And you walk in and you're like, no, not here. Uh, <laughs> I saw. I went to one place. The guy pulled out a bick. Like, fuck you and fuck your bick. I'm not even kidding. It was a bick. Nope. Yeah, that guy's a monster. He's not a barber. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were going to be eating you later as ground-up beef. They just didn't fucking care. Worst pies in London. The worst. Why are you singing that? Worst pies in London. <laughs> Tommy 3 yeah. 16. 16. Well, you had your Kurt wrist, so yeah. You probably went up on it. <laughs> but I've only gotten one. It was really good. So I'm gonna, I mean, I got to stick with that 18. And I'm really hoping on this one because it's like super high end place, like a yuppie place. I'm like, all right, it's gonna be. They they have a barbershop. They do the full shave, and they have a juice bar, which is weird to me. That is weird. That is weird. I also went to one in San Francisco uh, that was a barbershop and boxing gym. Yeah. Still do you remember that one, Tommy? I'm Josh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you remember that was kind of it was kind of famous. Yeah. It was a barbershop boxing gym and. You'd go in, you'd watch the boxing match, and give a shave, and it was kind of nice. Yeah. Plugs. 
I'd like to thank Kirby Crackle for providing our geek rock music every week. You can check him out at kirbycracklemusic.com. And I'd also like to thank Seth and the boys over at whosnextgaming.com. You can check out their podcast, too, although they're on a bit of a hiatus. Seth is moving his house, and so they're probably not going to be podcasting for a little bit. He's going to be rebroadcasting some older episodes, though. He's got some great old episodes, mostly about sex robots, but terrific stuff. How about you, Tommy? I'd like to thank Compass Box for producing this great scotch spice tree. Compass mm. Box spice tree scotch. It's delicious. Yeah, I might try that. And also, also, I'd like to plug geekorthodox.com. Geekorthodox.com. Hello, Tammy. Geekorthodox.com for a pair of fine stained glass prints and uh, Johnny Skywalker rocks glasses. Geekorthodox.com for all your geeky needs. And also ianlean.com for all your t-shirt needs. I would like to thank uh, Hotbox Pizza over in Somerville, Massachusetts, who is once again participating in the uh, Pizza Awareness Week, where they give pizza to uh, different uh, food banks. Uh, they didn't choose us this time, but they chose a uh, another food bank that's up the street from us, and they're going to give them 300 pies to feed their guys, which is terrific. So uh, Hotbox Pizza in Somerville, Massachusetts, terrible name, really good pizza. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Awesome Con, June 3rd to 5th on the 4th at 7.45 p.m. The Long Box guys will be presenting one of our panels on Horrible, Horrible Stereotypes. Yes? Yes. And uh, we will be joined by Sasha Kaplan. It's a uh, looks to be a great con. We'll be down in Washington, D.C. should be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. And also this summer, uh, I have uh, personally, I will be teaching a sword class at Gen Con. Out in Indianapolis. So if you want to get a What's introduction, the Gen Con. Yeah, it's called. It's, it's the the name of it's Gen Con. No, no. You, sorry, I said the dates. Oh, the dates. Uh, that's a good question. It's a great Gen looking Con. question. It's called Google. Look it up. It's Bye. the time August. I don't know. It's a way. It's a way. People have time. You got time. I should also mention I'm, uh, I'm hosting the uh, the Archer Tournament at the Come Try LARP World Championships of LARPing, uh, which is going to be in Kentucky, also in August, the beginning of August. So I hope Gen Con doesn't go and seek. I'm going to Gen Con this year, and uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be the uh, the guy doing the archery tournament this year. It sounds like a bad Chinese food dish, but Come Try LARP. Come Try LARP. Yeah, Gen Con August fourth to August seventh. There you go. Yeah, August. I might not be able to make that fuck. <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, and I'd also like to uh, plug the Smoky Mountains, because we're going. Yeah. Yeah. And Weird Al, May 4th in New London. May oh, the 4th be with us. Oh, London. yeah. May the 4th. Oh, yeah. He's got to do all the Star Wars stuff. It'll uh, be May the 4th. He's going to be, I, I, here's my prediction. He starts off with a couple of tunes. He does fat next because we know it's a costume change, right? And then he closes it out with the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, predict all you want. Sure. Why not? No one wants to counter predict me? Come on, no. man. All right. He's weird how he's unpredictable. Is he? Yes. Yeah, 
little bit. What do you guys think about the Weird Al uh, documentary? Uh, documentary. <laughs> well, Bio? kind of a biography coming out. Docudrama coming out. I don't know. I haven't seen anything about it except that it's Danny. Is it really Daniel Radcliffe? I can't yes. decide if that's a joke. It's, it's Daniel Radcliffe, so far as I've seen. Uh, uh, it's yeah. a joke. It's brilliant because they're really running with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're gonna sell. They have to talk through the Daniel shit Rad- out of that. Yeah, Weird Al Yankovic said himself. Finally, Daniel Radcliffe will have a starring role in something he might be remembered for. So. Yeah, I mean, Weird Al's, uh, he's not a short guy. And, uh... If they just cast Midgets and Daniel Radcliffe, that would be the greatest movie ever fucking made. I mean, yeah, they should just do it on the on the set of the remake of Willow. And all time. <laughs> weird Al Yankovic, you really are great. You really are great. You really are weird. <laughs> And for our fans out there who want to communicate with us, next week we are doing the three, our top three picks for the most underappreciated awesome films. So if you're out there and you're like, my God, I hope they talk about Under the Rainbow, go ahead and shoot us a, a tweet at the Longbox guys. Let us know what your top three is, and we will read those off next week. Did anyone pick Under the Rainbow? Because that is an awesome movie. I, I just thought of it while you were talking well, about, about the little people. The little people. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, that's just a fucking great movie. That's a good movie. That's a good movie. It's a solid pick, man. Solid. Solid pick. Solid. So solid. I can't tell you. So every year when I was at Emerson, they made us read a different book about, about you know, diversity. And I tried so hard to get a book introduced about little people. I know you did. I remember this. You are every year. Every year. I was like, does anybody have recommendations? And I was like spitting out different books about little people. I was like, I'm all about the little people, folks. We're not doing enough to try to recruit little people. There's a there's a group of people that we are not trying to reach, and they are little. Said over, you never said overlooking, and I respect that. It's fair. You always said underappreciated or undervalued, and I'm like, please say overlooked one time just so I can jump on your ass, and you never did. But this is not a joke. For three years, and I recall, every time this came up, he had like four or five books in his back pocket that he would recommend for this fucking committee and it never got passed never never under the rainbow would have been a good recommendation and that'll about do it for our episode this week with the lawn box guys mikey what's his podcast like to you it's like drunk history but for comics josh uh josh gen con this year is that your sector no, first, before that, Gatlinsburg, Tennessee is my, my sector. Yeah. We're gonna, yeah. We are going to be. Drop below your shoulder, my friends. We're going to hit so many distilleries and Dollywood. Hmm. Ugh. Hate you. Tommy, any words of wisdom for us? Well, about the little people.
people. Oh, all the little people. Don't forget what I always say. Don't just what you hate. Just promote what you love. You live longer. Thank you so much for the podcast. On the road.